This week on the Push Wallows podcast, it is a first space education takeover. We talk about rehab, education, and personal training. Alright, three, two, one. This is a third space takeover. Alright, guys, welcome to the Pushball Lace podcast. As you've noticed, I'm not here with Dan. I am here with Mr. Josh Silverman and Henry Howe from Third Space. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> wow, bring them. You, you both have podcasts before, but yeah, yeah let's just let's, let's talk to each no, other. I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed. I thought you were going to say something about a tin opener or something for the intro, but oh, we, right, yeah, we, we pre recorded our conversation that we just done about <laughs> a tin opener and a penis, which is apparently Henry's chat today, so we're good. I'm, I'm still rocking in a corner. <laughs> so uh, basically, we've brought the. We were expecting one more education team coordinator person, uh, the lovely Carl Wilson, but he's stuck, uh, currently stuck on a train. And he's, um, sat. he's sat. absolutely sat. I know. Um, basically, he couldn't turn up. Didn't couldn't be bothered. And that's what I heard. So he's currently on WhatsApp. He'll probably just replay some voice notes if he wants to have any chimes of wisdom. And his lovely like uh, Midlands voice. He's got some of the best. He's got the best voice out of all of us as well. Malvin. It would have been. He's super, It would have been superb. So we've got Henry. What was that? When you so basically, education guys have to go on a course to semi know how to teach. These guys still don't know how to teach, but anyway, um, they have to go on a course to learn how to teach. What, what did the tutor say to Carl Henry that he had? He had what? Is that his voice? Oh, she was digging him. She basically <laughs> said he had such a calming, hypnotic tone. Hypnotic tone. She does. Yeah, like every every course that we teach together, it seems that I always bring that up, and it's just going to be like, yeah. He's a lot calmer than us as well. He kind of comes across a lot calmer okay. than we do. We're a little bit antsy. He's a bit dreamy. Um, so, is like liquid gold. <laughs> so Dan's not with us today because uh, apparently Paris has no internet, um, as as we well know. Um, he is obviously training his celebrity client, so he's away. Um, you probably see him on his Instagram doing nothing, sitting in his room all day, and yeah. But he's got a dog, so I'm going to be down in Bath very soon. Oh, he's got a dash, a miniature dash. He's a miniature dash. So oh, my mother-in-law's got one of them. She's an looks, absolute nutter. It looks beautiful. So Isabel and da- mini dashend Dan's Instagram following is going to go up by at least ten k over the next week. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, right. So we're going to briefly explain everything, kind of personal trainery, education, what we do at Third Space, and I think we kind of need to know. Henry's expertise, because Josh, this is your fourth appearance on this show, mm-hmm. so I think we're already bored of you, apparently. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. No. So, Henry, without further ado, mate, who are you? What do you do? Area of expertise? What, what the hell? What the hell? Um, so, I am Henry, already been introduced. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> so, I, I work for Third Space and have done for six and a half years uh, over in Canary Wharf. Uh, I'm a registered osteopath and a personal trainer. Uh, I was a personal trainer before I went and studied osteopathy and, and frankly I didn't really think I was going to return to the exercise or fitness industry, whatever you want to call it. Um, but to be honest with you, I think the more I started learning about osteopathy, the more I realised that exercise is really where change happens. Um, and whilst osteopathy is a great platform for seeing people in pain and the diagnostic side of things, uh, I don't think I'll ever really walk away from a gym. Um, so yeah, that's me really. 
as I say, did a master's in osteopathy at the British College of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, and then PT education. Most recently, I've done Exos. Uh, back in the day, I did a couple of pull check courses, which I did really, really enjoy. Yes, oh, all talking to rocks. <laughs> yeah. uh, not talking to rocks, stacking rocks. Talking oh, stacking to crystals. Rocks. Sorry. Yeah. No. Um, talking so... to crystals? That was uh, cool. <laughs> I, did, I didn't get that far. Rocks, get it? Yeah. yeah, I didn't get that far. Uh, you, you never guess why. But uh, anyway, so uh, so yeah, did a bit of the pool check stuff, all of the UKSCA workshops. Um, and yeah. Gray Institute as well, wasn't it? Sorry? Gray Institute stuff as well, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done the, uh, the CAPS. Uh, Grey Institute certification, yeah, and a couple of workshops on that. All the slingy yeah. things moving like... All over the place, all the time. That's, yeah, that's all, all, all planes, all, all the planes of motion. Basically, if you spin around, people are just kind of gliding themselves. Uh, Josh, if anybody doesn't know who you are, Jesus Christ, where have they been? But if you might as well introduce yeah, yourself. Exa- exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Josh, uh, head of education at Third Space. I'm also head of academy at LDNM, which Tom still can't say the name, but that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, head of the academy at LDMMM. What did I say? What did I say? LDMMM. LDMMM. I had speech therapy as a child. Evidently. Yeah, my postgrad is in applied nutrition and supplementation. So I wouldn't say I was an expert in nutrition because obviously the more I've sort of read, the more I realize we have no idea what's going on when it comes to nutrition. But more recently, going into the kind of exercise mechanics type of thing, people call me the FMS guy, um, people call me the RTS guy, people call me other words, I'm not going to say what it is, Um, but yeah, that's about me. Been in industry for about 12 years, was a lecturer, and yeah, mainly an educator now, that's it. Mainly an educator. I mean, Josh wanted me to introduce Mm. myself as well, but if you haven't listened to this show... Yeah, Tom... I've, as being as you know we've got rid of Dan everyone's obviously coming on to, to hear me <laughs> this is, this minute, is a so Josh and Henry's podcast so century. who are you Tom basically is this the replacement basically I'm not going to be on it next week and you two are just going to take over that's what's yeah. happening right okay cool yeah. um, <laughs> if anybody doesn't know my background basically go back to listen to episode 1, 2, 3 all the way to 189 um, <laughs> I did an S&C degree at Middlesex University did my master's degree in sports performance and biomechanics uh, worked in pro sport for a little bit then decided that I'd work with Gem Pop actually did a little bit of uh, work for Carl Wilson as a uh, as a biomechanics specialist for a company called Dartfish and that's how I got my job at Third Space um, because I was doing what was then six and a half years ago, their education system, and I looked at all of their mechanics of their slides, and then they were like, oh, you know what the foot is? I was like, yeah, I know where the foot is, and then they gave me, gave me a job. It was wonderful. Oh, um, so, yeah, Carl employed me, and now we sit on the same panel together. It's amazing. Nice. So for those of people that don't know who Carl is, Carl yeah. is the other quarter of the education team. See that great mouse. No, um, yeah. It took. It, there was a, definitely a, there was a gap before you said that. Yeah, <laughs> you only got that because you just ate a pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Pizza. Um, yeah, Carl was the other quarter, uh, and Carl, we was just reading his bio as it goes. That's how we know this. But yeah. we've been in the industry for twenty years. Uh, biomechanics. Uh, ma- is it masters I've, in biomechanics? I've, was it I, always, I always thought his master's degree was in physiology or kinesiology. Or kinesiology, like I think. Yeah. Kinesiology, biomechanics, the they're all, they're all human body in the foot and the, the body and all that stuff. So stuff how it uh, moves. No, I've got it. 
MSE, Sport and Exercise Science. Okay, oh, we wasn't boom. none of them. Right, but physiology <laughs> is part of Sports and Exercise Science. So it I think, is, and biomechanics yeah. is as well. So, so here we are. Yeah, we got it right. It's all the same. Yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same. But yeah, we're basically gonna. What we we'll want to do is really chat about. I guess we got a little bunch of questions as well. Um, <laughs> apparently, my followers tend to not give me very serious questions, and Josh's do. Um, so we're gonna <laughs> vouch for yours. <laughs> um, and then Henry's clients apparently just want to ask him questions. They were like, "We better ask those guys and not you, Henry." Is what I'm taking that as really what's happening to your clients? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna look at what we do within internally at the first in third space, I guess, educationally, and what people should start to look at. Um, if they want, or if they are personal trainers, or even if they're not, right, for the general pop, I think some of the questions were around about that and where people should be getting their information from. Um, so this will probably be one of the most educationally and uh, take notes of this podcast because me and Dan will be back to talking about cereal and protein bars next week. So take it where you can. Um, we can talk about protein bars. I mean, we can. Josh knows loads about protein bars. <laughs> Obviously, I'm the, I'm the nutrition guy. I know about protein. I know what it is. There's, 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 I, I like the London Muscle Wafer things. They were good when you gave us some of them. Oh, they were. A little wafer. They're, they're, yeah, they're decent. Where are they going? Why, why are you uh, still giving them away for we, free? Let's, let's move on about that. All oh, right, brilliant. That was... <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. They were great when they were free. Um, didn't want to play. Uh, right. It's all... Um, there, there was one question that actually is a good lead-in, to be fair, yeah. which, what the hell was my stories all about the other day? And I'll quickly just read quickly what I put up. I put up, a real teacher will create an environment that allows learning to fail, learners to fail, fail again, and figure out their own way through exploration. A real teacher will not get frustrated because people are getting it wrong or doing something that doesn't fit their bias. So next time you hear someone who thinks they're a teacher talk about do, don't, right or wrong, just sip on your tea and move on, basically. So the, the the question was, what really, what do we think education actually is? And I'm going to wait for you guys to answer first. So what is education? Everyone's always like, I want to do a course. I want to do education. <laughs> what do you think education actually is? Henry, you can go first. Okay. Um, Josh, you mean you mean to people, right? What are people looking for when they're no. seeking education? No, no, no. I mean, we are educators. Yeah. So people, I think, out there, the reason why people believe they're a bad learner or they can't learn or they hated school is because school was the lock to education, as in school got in the way of education. So my question to you as educators is, what do you feel education is? How would you summarize how to educate someone? What how to educate someone? Yeah, and what is it exactly? As in, what is the bigger picture of education or how to educate someone, et cetera, et cetera? However you want to answer it. Well, I think the, the, first, the first thing I would open with maybe is uh, what I have learned. So, I mean, I, I've been in this role since January, February. And, and one of the biggest things I've, I've learned is that you, you've really got to know who you're teaching. Um, and you know them in a group for sure, but also know them as individuals and what their interests are, what they like, what they dislike. Um, yeah, that, that, that for me is one of the biggest lessons is, uh, you, you, God knows how people walk into a room of completely new people and, and, and teach them and have all their information absorbed, um, because it's a complete game changer when you really know who you're talking to, um, so that would, that would be my opening piece, really, is, is know, know your student, you know? Yeah. Decent. 
Yeah, I think knowing your students to, well, would be a big one. But then I guess if we're teaching like external courses, most of the time we can't do that. So I guess the audience that would resonate and come to you would generally be speaking, well, hopefully either speaking the same language. They've already probably paid or come to see, hear you listen anyway. So it's, I don't know, speaking or imparting in some sort of engaging way. But Josh said self-discovery. That's why I feel like teach back self-discovery learning um, is one of the bigger things that I like to try and do to impart, kind of guide them towards an answer. Maybe, hopefully I know what I'm talking about when we're doing it, but we're going to let them get there in their own way or let somebody get there in their own way. And it's going to resonate with them if they create their analogy or create their own journey to get there. Um, but if education, I guess it's, is it the willingness? I don't know, it's the willingness or want to be a better yourself in a pathway. To be to be educated or education, surely. I mean, yeah, it's all sorry. about progression, isn't it? Yeah, it's all mm-hmm. about progression. It's um, people who've got questions and they they want answers. What what that their motivation for that is is going to be different, right? Um, some people it's they want to be educated to the point where they can uh, just simply answer the questions from their clients in a more kind of credible or evidence based way. Some people are going to want to be able to answer the questions. Uh, coming from other trainers um so i guess that's almost a bit of a status thing isn't it but um yeah i mean it's all about uh, it's all about progression and development for sure uh one thing i was yeah. going to do, do you want to hear the four, the four, oh sorry, sorry. Uh, my, the computer lagged so i thought you'd finished so i've probably not finished um, <laughs> no, tom was saying you know it's difficult if you're teaching external courses yeah so i mean i was obviously answering that very much from the angle of i know who i'm teaching i know the company they work for um you know most of them i know what they're getting paid so um i know a lot about them already but even then um is there any reason why people who sign up for an external course can't give a bit more information about themselves prior um you know i think uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with sending out questionnaires and getting an idea of uh, understanding and what what people you, you know you know they want to come and listen to you um but but why not send out questionnaires and ask what what their big points that they want to take away from the weekend are for example in this day and age technology is a doddle isn't it mm. so yeah i mean i, I went into a uh, for let's say uh, mainstream education places that were like universities, colleges, whatever, um, in order to go to an outstanding of Ofsted's requirements, which is what they look at for being the best, you know, teachers and learners and whatever. And, and the four major things that I always looked at was one, teach backwards. So what what you mean by that is what is the end goal? As in, where do you want this person to finish? And so you you fill it from that you don't just start from foundation knowledge and build it's like well what's what's the end point so for instance in the third space structure we knew that the end point was always going to be understanding the basics of individual elements like rehab nutrition sports performance and then specializing so that's how we fill the the lesson or that's how we fill the plan of education so teaching backwards the second one is called um the lazy teacher which i always used to use because a it requires hardly any planning but b it's actually better and it's that thing that I was saying about um exploration and failing so the idea you actually allow the learner to find the answer rather than giving it to them so i, I used to do some lessons sometimes where i'd never answer a question i'd always ask it i'd always answer it with another question and they had to find the answer in themselves basically through discovery or whatever which is it's great when someone tells you you've got a 
cover a biomechanics class and I'm like, I have no idea what a vector is or whatever like that at that point. Um, so I'm like, yeah, cool. So that someone says to me, what is a vector? And I go, what isn't a vector? Or something like that. <laughs> so philosophical. Just sound like a bomb villain. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, the Silverman. Um, then another one was allowing every, every person in the room to feel challenged, but also progressed at the end of the day. And this is what's known as differentiation, whether that's through the questioning types or the activities or whatever, where actually you want the, the smartest in the room to not come away thinking, oh, I kind of knew all that great. And you don't want the less capable person in the room come away thinking, oh my God, none of that made sense. And you pitch everything at stretching every individual learner at their own pace, if that makes sense. Um, so in school, they used to do it as sets. They used to put dumb people in dumb sets and smart people in smart sets. And there was actually a lot of um, studies done on this where what they did, they went into private schools and they basically found the brightest students told them, listen, you are going into the lowest set because you aren't the brightest after your exam results. Then they went to the students that weren't so bright, people like me at school, where they'd go, oh, my God, you've done really well in your, in your exams. We're going to put you at the top set, A. So they, they numbered them A, B, C, and D. Just by, even though they taught them the exact same stuff, at the end of the year, the people that were the brightest, actually, technically, in the classes um, failed exams or got the lowest grades. And the people that were told they were the brightest got the, bright, got the, the highest grades. So they started getting rid of in, in a lot of the schools the grade criteria of top set lower set mid set and all that sort of stuff they still do it in secondary school which is stupid but it was actually you shouldn't you should have differentiated tasks but you're not telling people what they are so everyone feels stretched in the room so that when it comes to it everyone's getting questioned and everyone's coming up with the same stumbling points like not everyone's getting it right straight away like oh i don't know but it it seems to everyone that everyone's getting challenged if that makes sense mm. 100%. There was, there was something that when, uh, I think when we started going through it, I don't know whether it was in the, uh, it's probably actually taught from you, Josh, where you'd kind of enable the, uh, maybe the smartest person in the room and maybe the not so smartest person in the room, but that smartest person's gonna kind of help teach yeah. everybody else as well. So yeah. you're, you're enabling them, you're challenging them by saying, I'm gonna challenge your knowledge, you're gonna teach it to these guys, and you're gonna bring them up to what is the, the standard, and then yeah. they're, they're gonna feel a sense of achievement by doing that. Also, these people are going to get the education they had. So they could, that's another way of yeah, tackling that kind of that kind of workshop, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's known as Bloom's Taxonomy, which is yeah. like the hierarchy of thinking. There's also De Bono's Hats, which is a similar thing, where it's like the, the basic first level of thinking when you're coming into learning or when you're coming into applying stuff is just comprehension. Do I know? So if I said to Henry, Henry, what is this muscle? He could <clears throat> point at it and say, that's a bicep, because that's the only muscle that matters. That's a bicep. Um, then you go, okay, tell me about the muscle. So now we're going into the knowledge aspect of, well, it's it's Josh's muscle, so it's massive. It's really wow. strong. Wow. Obviously. Wow. It's mine. It's Josh's muscle. <laughs> <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, now analyze the muscle, compare and contrast it to other muscles. Well, it only moves one joint, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now evaluate it um, against another muscle. Okay. Da, 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 da. But anyway, that's a higher level of, of kind of thinking where it's just name, knowledge, analyze, compare, evaluate, feelings into it and make it better, whatever it is anyway. Um, but what that highlights is actually, and this is why we wanted to kind of bring it in as well, is when you're looking at educational seminars or when you're looking at workshops, a lot of the stuff out in the fitness industry is not true education. 
it's a workshop, yes, where you get taught some stuff, you go and do it, but you don't really understand it or you don't really know much about it. And I think Henry's kind of put on this before. Whereas if, if you've got a, an actual teacher or an educator, you'll come away not knowing quite how you got there, but you've not only just got some knowledge on it, and but you understand the middle ground of the application, the comparisons of it, the evaluation, <laughs> the analysis of it, then applying it. Because apply is the last level. You can't just give someone something, go and apply it, and expect good results if they don't understand all the levels before of what it's good for, what it's not good for, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, um, that's the third thing. Then the fourth thing is actually making people fail. They do this in, I think it's Japan. They, when the people start their last sort of, I don't know what it is, whether it's secondary school or college or whatever, the first week they're told in two weeks time you're having an exam, that exam will tell you whether or not you can hit a high grade. And they make them sit an exam in two weeks and put loads of stress on them, make them all fail, so that they understand that failure is going to happen and it's fine to happen, but we just need to learn from it. So allowing someone to fail and get stuff wrong, not going, ah, you're an idiot, but getting things wrong. And that's, that's education, really, really simple. Done. Right. Podcast done. Bam. Easy. <laughs> Henry, you yeah. were talking about um, something to do with assessments in kind of relaying what Josh was saying. Yeah, Josh sort of um, referenced it, uh, you know, it's a vicious cycle really because personal trainers um, want more tools, they want more toys, they, they want to finish a course on a Sunday and on Monday they can bring their clients who maybe they've told they're sitting um, a new course uh, and show, show them off, right, and, and as a result of that, uh, a lot of... Um, dare I say it, quote-unquote educators, um, they appease that. You know, they, they, they give them a barrage of assessments um, or, or a long list of uh, exercises that are deemed to be kind of specifically only for rehabilitation, um, for example, or specifically only corrective, so we, should we say, in like a non, uh, non-injured non population. And, and really they don't, you know, they don't give give that group of people what they really need which is some kind of philosophy for what, what the body needs to do. You know, they don't teach people, uh, you know, when pain happens, what's happening? Uh, what, what is that person experiencing? Um, they don't give them a kind of um, a philosophy. Uh, in, in saying that, I, w- I was on one course once um, with, uh, you were on it as well, actually, with Nicole Rodriguez. Yes. And, and she actually flipped it around to us because people were saying, you know, what... Tell me how much someone should squat. Tell me how much someone should da da da. And she flipped it around and said, "No, no, you tell me. You know, for for a male, how many? I can't think what the example was, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they're trying trying to get people to. No, think I, about I, their I remember own. that exact conversation because it kind of it flipped everybody. I don't think a lot of people in that room had a general standard of what they would like to see. She had she had a standard of what she'd like to see in six to twelve months of training with her, right? That was mm. what the general standard would be. Some people hated that conversation. They truly hated because they were like, oh, it depends on this. It depends on the industry, where yeah. they come from. And she was like, all right, you've got 12 months with them. They're going to be perfect. Where are you going to be? Hypothetically, where are you going to be? And they were like, you mean starting position? How old are they? It's like, no, no, just your perfect client. It doesn't matter. It's just hypothetical. And they just, yeah. it, it was a massive stumbling block. And, yeah, and just, just to finish off what, um, what I was talking about is... Um, you know, PTs, etc. They they should be. You know, what's wrong with turning up on Monday after doing a course and just saying, yeah, I understand that a lot, lot better now. You know, why, why do you have to say, oh yeah, I've got three new assessments I'm going to do on your hip. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? What's wrong with rocking up on a Monday? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I really, really get it now. It was really, really thought-provoking. Um, yeah, that, that, that was my point, really. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, God, there's a cat I, I, I think there's a cat that's like so about to jump on, jump on Josh. Yeah, I, I think it, it also <laughs> comes down to like um, P, PTs never want to admit that actually what they need is a deeper understanding of what they've already got. They generally want something new, something that must be the answer. Like, like a client, right? A client never wants to hear, well, just don't eat as much. They want to know, what do I need to eat to get to X? And a PT is the same. It's like, well, I've been trying the squats. I've been trying this tool that I've been using. I've been trying this exercise. Maybe not been trying it right because they don't know the, the background behind it and the more, okay, I understand it more. I know the intricacies. But I, I think it comes down to that. It comes down to the fact that a PT just doesn't ever want to just understand more, which they don't think because they don't know that that high level of thinking, understanding and having that knowledge base will actually increase and improve the application of it anyway, which will then increase results. They, they want an assessment. Then they want a corrective based on that assessment because that's going to fix my client. That's what they want. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we, we live in that culture where we go to a GP and are expecting a pill, a magic pill to do something. Therefore, this will get there and not realizing that it's probably going to be a little bit longer process than that. But that's, mm. that's what I feel like we're always going to be fighting either as rehabbers or coaches and realizing that it takes a long time to make change. And it's going to happen within that educationally as well because you know, a deeper understanding mm. is going to take time. It's going to take kind of being the application, the applied nature of it over time. It's not like this quick assessment, bam, 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 go. But going to courses and, think, and reaffirming it is going to be far better. Yeah, and I think rehab is the biggest one. For me, before I met Henry, like about what, about a year and a bit ago or whatever, like I honestly believed because I'm not into the rehab side of things, um, even though I should be because of my issues. But You're about to be, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I always thought, right? I go to an osteo. They're going to tell me or a Cairo. They're going to tell me exactly what's wrong. They're going to clip me in a certain position. I'm fixed. Like, and then okay, now this has got a pain here. They're going to go and stick a needle in that, and then there we go. Scar tissue's gone. Fixed. So that, that's what I thought it was until I then went to Henry and he crushed all those dreams. Because everything that I said, right, <laughs> my hip's hurting. He added a bit of traction, went, well, yeah, could be this, could be that. What should I do? Just add some load gradually. It might work. It might. I'm like, who's this guy? I've been <laughs> going to these chiros. And then after a while, I was like, oh, damn, yeah, okay, I get it now. It's just not as, it's not as simple as that. But that was, again, bad knowledge. I, I thought about the application. I didn't understand and comprehend the knowledge behind it, I guess. But, yeah. There's an interesting question, interesting question off that, because I'm, I'm guarantee some of the general pop of uh, our listenership will want to know is, uh, Henry, why did you become an osteo and not a physio or a chiro? And what is the difference between all the three of those? What the hell is the difference? I don't even Who know. Who knows the difference? I mean, we've had a physiotherapy. We've, we've had a couple of physios on the show, and they don't know. They have no idea. I mean, Doug, oh, does, yeah. Doug doesn't know. Oh, oh, he, just, I knew this was going to come Basically, up. every single time I see Doug Tannehill, I say, you're not a real physio. So tell me why you're not a real physio. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the first question was, why did I choose osteo? Yeah. Um, and, and the reason I chose it was uh, different to what I believe now. So I'm just going to tell you what a personal trainer who is about to study as an osteo has said in their justification. So I chose it. Firstly, I was just, I came to a point in my fitness career really where I seemed to attract people in pain. Um, And, 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 you know, not in a sadistic way, but I enjoyed (laughs) working with people in pain. I I felt like the connection that you made with people 
um, uh, was, was more valuable than, than aesthetic reasons. I'm not saying it's going to be like that in every single person, but that's the way I felt at the time. Um, no, Henry, be honest, you used to break your clients and you needed to know how to pick. <laughs> no, that's not the case. Not the case. <laughs> um, so, and, and don't forget as well, you know, the whole pull check stuff, there was a real angle there. Um, well, for breaking clients, hundred percent. I hundred percent agree. Breaking, <laughs> <laughs> hot stones and hot rocks then in, in, um, in the. Do you know what? I can remember so little of um, <laughs> quack stuff. I did. I did. Um, I probably shouldn't have said quack stuff. I've said it now. There's always the bleep. Sorry, I think I think um, over the last few episodes that we've we've we've, we've said harsher stuff about stuff. We're okay. Oh Jesus! I'm oh, going to crack it up anyway. In your intro, Henry, you forgot to mention that you are actually a naturopathic medicine practitioner as well, aren't you? No, I, I was declined the certificate because I didn't like test brachiosteropathy. So your alternative medicine, is that what you're saying? Uh, technically, I, I am complementary healthcare, yeah. Ooh. No, no, no. Now you've been a politician. <laughs> naturopathic medicine. No, but I didn't get that certificate because I, I refused to attend cranial osteopathy. So, <laughs> Okay. You're lucky. Carry on. You're not yeah, fired today. Yeah, okay. Congratulations. Lives <laughs> to fight another day. Okay. So anyway, so I had already started to work with people in in pain more frequently, and I, and I, uh, it was stimulating. So so what I wanted to do was get a platform for that because um, I think you know personal trainers often hate calling themselves personal trainers, don't they? They're a corrective exercise specialist. They're a strength and conditioning coach. They're a nutrition coach. They're a body transformation coach. Whatever whatever way they can possibly avoid calling themselves a personal trainer. Um, so so I wanted a platform because I couldn't I couldn't get myself to a position where I was only working with people in pain. Um, and and frankly, it was just I, I knew a couple of really really good uh, osteopaths. Um, and, and I, I, I'd go on these courses with them and I'd talk to them and I was like, oh, I want that kind of knowledge. So that was why I chose it. In terms of why I didn't choose, um, what's it called, physiotherapy, um, I didn't choose physiotherapy because I wasn't interested in the far more kind of wide-spanning conditions that they are taught how to rehabilitate, so kind of the non-musculoskeletal ones. So I... Um, I wanted to spend four years working in musculoskeletal healthcare rather than three years working in uh, a much broader range as it were. And obviously you get the opportunity to um, specialise and the, the time they spend on their rotations in things like you know stroke rehab and so on and so forth are invaluable. I'm sure they're great for your brain, but that was the decision I made. Um, uh, now, should we talk about osteophysio, chiro, massage? Oh, um, there's another wacky one called osteopractor. Osteopractor. Yeah, it's absolutely cobblers. Won't go down that rabbit <laughs> hole. Um, so, so did you say people don't know the difference between them? A hundred percent. Yeah, the, the average Joe on the street. Uh, no, know sorry, the I mean the, the physios that you'd spoken to. Oh no, they they did. Don't worry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, look. Um, uh, firstly, I mean, really, the only difference might be what they studied and where they studied it, the letters after their name. Um, so I treat back pain. Um, you know, you, the guy Alex you had on, he's a physio, he treats back pain. So what we do and, and the people we see are the same people. There's no two ways about it. Um, historically, what we would have said is that osteopaths are perhaps looking a little bit further away from the injury site as to causes. 
But to be honest with you now, any physiotherapist, any chiropractor worth their salt will also be doing that. Um, historically, physios were far, far better about administering, designing exercise rehabilitation programs. But again, any kind of osteopath worth their salt should be doing that as well. Although I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, the, uh, the exercise rehabilitation education on uh, the osteopathy uh, degrees is, is, is pretty woeful. <laughs> Um, although some of the, the rehab I see coming out of physiotherapy is, is equally poor. Um, so, so, so the difference is just the, the study um, between osteo and physio. Um, chiropractic, I think, are potentially holding on to their identity a little bit more. Historically, chiropractors were very, very um, interested slash borderline obsessive about uh, spinal alignment and wherever an issue is in the body they're always wanting to uh, look at spinal alignment they like their before and after well before maybe not after uh, x-rays um, whether or not that's diagnostic or sales pitch uh, I don't know but you know um, my favorite um, healthcare educator is a chiropractor a guy called Greg Lean a Canadian guy he's a physio and he's a chiropractor um, but you know he is a chiropractor, um, so so but, the best but not the but best. not an osteo, interestingly. No, but um, so the chiropractors better than osteos, then. Right? Sorry, so chiropractors are better than osteos. Is that what you just admitted? Just admit your favourite educator is, is not an osteopath. Mate, I know <laughs> you just said you wish chiropractor. Sorry. You just said you wish you studied chiropractic rather than osteopathy. That's what you just said. I, uh, I didn't hear that. But anyway, um, no, look. Um, Oh, you've made me lose my, my uh, <laughs> little blighter. Uh, I think where, my, my angle was, look, the, 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 the best of each discipline will usually agree because because we're not dealing with um, like opinion-based stuff. We're dealing with medicine. And if there's evidence that kind of indicates we should be treating people in a certain way, I mean, I'm not sure that exists right now. We're getting far, far more information on what we shouldn't be doing with people and what's maybe potentially harmful or, or just completely ineffective. Um, then we should be listening to that evidence. So, so best osteo, best physio, best chiro, best massage therapist, best personal trainer. Um, you would hope are doing or agreeing on the same things. Josh has got his hand up. I know he's got a hand up. It's just easier because otherwise I just interject at the wrong time. The computer's a bit laggy, so I think there's a gap and it's not. Um, the biggest question for me on that is how do you choose which one you go to? So what would be the difference between me going, I'm going to go to a physio against, I'm going to go to an osteo again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, drop me an email. Tell me where you live. I'll find one. <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult. I'd be very, very suspicious uh, of anybody who has a predominantly manual therapy oriented uh, treatment option. So what I mean by that is massage, whoa, whoa, whoa. manipulation, stretching, acupuncture. Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Second one, manipulation. You're telling mm -hmm. me that, that that's not going to realign my spine and my hips. That's the good one, Henry. Jesus Christ. All I want is a click. That's if I'm booking you, mate, for an hour, all I want to hear is that. That's all I want to hear. Listen, Josh, I'm afraid we've just shot Bambi. Manipulation <laughs> does not do that. Oh God! <laughs> no, it's, in all seriousness, yeah. So I, I would be incredibly suspicious of of uh, anybody who really obsessed over the effects of manual therapy on on the body, whether or not they're saying you've got a 
you know, elevated shoulder or they're breaking down scar tissue or so on and so forth. So I'd be pretty suspicious of that. Um, obviously, if you're seeing a physiotherapist, they should be chartered. If they're seeing uh, an osteopath, they should be registered. You can check that on uh, GIOS website, Osteo, and I guess uh, Chartered Society of Physiotherapists. Um, so you want that to be happening. Um, and, and like the big one is just going to be word of mouth, obviously. Go on then, young Go on, Joshua. Go on, Josh. Go question. Um, what, what's your thoughts? Because this is another, um, I would say an obsession with PTs or even physios or, or more, more so the earlier on ones, the guys that are just starting. Have you got your hands up now? I just stretching. No, he's just stretching. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the Doesn't question work, by the way, stretching. Anyway. <laughs> it seems to me that there's a lot of stuff around patterns going on. So for instance, I, I've heard people go, that right shoulder is because of your left hip and then your right ankle, or you're in this type of pattern or this type of sling and this left hand affects your right foot. So what we're going to do is we're going to wiggle your middle finger and that's going to help you with your knee pain. Do you see what I mean? All those those things that piece together going, it's originating from here because someone can see it. That seems to me to be a big thing that PT start doing, like postural analysis going, that right shoulder is because of your left hip and blah, 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 and those links yeah, thoughts? Oh, yeah. This is Bambi's the- down again. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, I suppose my industry um, is probably responsible for a lot of those ideas. Um, and, and essentially, people like them, don't they? Because they're easy to see. Anyone can pull out an anatomy drawing and do a little dot to dot. You know, I could connect my bloody earlobe to my, I don't know what. If I if I went on long enough, um, so so people like them, you know, they like physical findings. But the reality is that we don't really see these kinds of patterns very often. Um, there are a plethora of things in the body that we only have one of. So I would say that uh, that and also how kind of ambidextrous we are, how we chew food on one side of our mouth, how we've got one strong eye. Maybe the body's just, you know, meant to be imperfect, meant to be asymmetrical. Um, some of the best movies in the game are just the best compensators, right? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the obsession is. I, I, I think um, the, those kinds of approaches are, you know, maybe attract people that are searching for a level of complexity that A, doesn't exist. But I what? knew it was coming. I love that trap line. That's, that's Henry's, like... What do you call it? You're going to trademark that. <laughs> You're going to trademark it. That is like catchphrase. So say it again for us, Henry, a level of complexity that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, people, people. you know, I'll be honest, a lot of the guys on those courses, they're, they're sharp, they're bright people. Um, but anyway, I'll say it without being interrupted, Joshua. Um, yeah, so sorry, it, you know, it's people searching for a level of complexity that, a doesn't exist, but B fortunately isn't really required to get people better. Um, I think that's a good segue into another question. And, yeah, go on. Go and on, also, on. The, all the, also, the, I think I believe the philosophies that Josh was talking about was PRI anatomy and motion. If, if, not just that. No, not just well, that. Two, two of them definitely are. Anatomy trains. That's they, another big one. Absolutely, they do. They do obviously go into that. But you've got NASM that goes into that sort of stuff. Um, so you've NASM's got like the. Man. That's osteopathy, classically. That's the overactive, overactive, underactive stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I bought into that. Uh, postural analysis when, when and in massage courses. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's also that fascia, fascia lines. Fascia lines, that yeah, 100%. Stuff. That's Gary Gray, though, right? 
Fascial lines? Fascial slings? No, 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 that's the Thomas Myers and Thomas Myers. Myers. So is basically it? what we've what we've realised there, we've rattled off about six, seven different theories. <laughs> yeah. <they're> all, <laughs> of all realising this is how confusing it can be within a we could say us us three as educators relatively have picked our philosophies or realised that there's lots out there, but pick the stuff that works. Yeah, I, I've just I just want to uh, reference to um studies i'd have to dig if if your listeners want the references i'll have to dig them out but um first one is a a really famous study now where they they take a thousand asymptomatic people um so people who the only um kind of prerequisite is that they're not suffering from back pain they give them all an mri um and uh the findings are that people's spines are absolutely rife with asymmetries and changes um and that's in a population of people who have no problems um, and, and, and the other, uh, the other study is, uh, I think it's something like 200 participants and 200 different therapists and the therapists weren't allowed, they weren't told what side of the body someone had pain on and then they had to assess them and then just say what what side that they were experiencing their symptoms on based on their findings you know they're looking at muscle tone and looking at posture so and so forth study in it yeah it is decent study and um it's like 50 50 50 50 yeah yeah we'd get absolutely screwed if we had to do that but also something to to mention like is that even those ones that we talked about like you know aim and even pri parts of it stuff like there is stuff you can still take away that you could potentially utilize with a client as well that's one thing as well it's be be weary of those that say i mean if unless it's really batty and out there unless it's really crazy and out there (laughs) then a lot of courses even if you go away thinking look 99 percent of that was nothing to do with my philosophy or nothing i can implement you may find one percent of it it goes oh actually i can see something in that i'm gonna i'm gonna go down that path a tiny bit yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, um, uh, I had a great bit of advice once when I was really, really young in the industry. Um, actually, it's from a lady who's now a massage therapist at Canary Wharf, KT. Uh, and she said, like, everyone adds value. <laughs> everyone adds value and no one knows everything. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that's a, re- a, it's a really, really humble standpoint. But it, it, you've got to take that in, in mind. You know, these people have put together an incredibly um well usually well thought out approach and just because uh, it, it's littered with a lot of errors it uh, doesn't mean there can't be some facets of it that, that are going to help and um, don't forget I, i'm coming at the angle of pain not performance there is no two ways about it that there are positions and as it were that are maybe biomechanically advantageous for movement um but i, I just obviously probably get get the hint that I've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I work in healthcare and I think it's unethical to um, like quite frankly just fear monger people into these um, repeat treatments um, because you think you've spotted something Um, and and maybe it's coming from a place where people are just uneducated but Mm. um, typically speaking um, I think I think these these therapists know um, that and it's just a case of uh, you know cognitive dissonance they, they associate their profession and their treatment approach with their identity so any attack or change on that is an attack on themselves um, that brings us to a next question 
which was one second. Um, I'd like to start this because I feel like I have to defend it for some reason. Um, <laughs> FMS, gimmick or valuable tool, pros and cons of FMS. Yeah. So for those people that don't know, we have we use FMS as part of our education pathway. Now, when it becomes a gimmick and it becomes an invaluable tool is when you try to use it to answer question, answer a question that it's not designed for, personally. Now, what I mean by that is, for instance, if I wanted to hammer a nail in a wall, I probably wouldn't use an Allen key. And I'm not good at DIY, but I think that's true, right? So when people try to use FMS as a tool to say, this is how they're going to perform, or even, even along the lines of prevention of, of injury, right? Like, if you think that a total score is going to exactly tell you that that is the injury likelihood of someone, then that's when, no, FMS is not a valuable tool. Now, where I think it adds value, personally, is confidence both from the um, client and trainer in what they're doing or what they're being prescribed. And secondly, is also confidence in themselves in doing a movement and confidence in a PT saying, I think I know where I can go from here. For instance, I'd, I'd done a screen on a load of kids who play football um, these kids complained massively on hamstring tightness, cramps during game, and some of them had hamstring injuries, of want of a better word. Generally speaking, a pulled hamstring. Went in, screened them. Well, no shit. Their straight active leg raise was what we'd consider as inadequate on the FMS terms. I don't really use the grading system too much, but the inadequacy of like one or two. Now, me showing them that on a piece of a kit that someone like Drogba has been pictured using... They loved it, first and foremost. Then, as a PT that's not part of rehab, I then get Gray Cook's fundamental philosophies on corrective exercise. I get some exercises from that that I can implement that I feel confident in using because I know Gray Cook's decent enough, I'm sure, um, and he knows what he's doing. So I, I feel confident in my prescription because otherwise I don't know what I'm going to give them. But the, the actual, the biggest part of the puzzle is that 12 weeks later, we go back and screen them, they get better. But cramps in game, no injury uh, in hamstrings and no more tightness or pull hamstrings throughout that season. The reason being probably is not because of the FMS and the corrective exercise, but it's probably because it empowered the players or more so got buy-in that they actually started to train their hamstrings. They actually done something. It's probably what it was. Um, whereas before, they probably weren't doing anything to warm up because they're kids. The kids don't really care. They just, they just do whatever. So I think it, it's a tool to be used from a PT to go I have confidence in oh I'm not going to prescribe that exercise because I don't think they can do some fundamentals so I'm going to do this exercise gives them confidence and more so for a client to go I, I think that PT knows what they're doing they didn't just come up with a blanket program they watched me move a bit they said I'm going to start here and actually it's it's sod's law or it's kind of no shit where in six weeks time your movement's going to progress just by doing more movement but if you're more confident in it then you're probably going to get more buy-in from it and that's that's it. That's how I see it as a tool, exercise inclusion tool, and buy-in in a very short answer. That's me. <laughs> that was short. All right. Yeah, that was uh, really short. Wasn't it? <laughs> um, I'll go. Inf the FMS is an invaluable tool. Um, obviously, I've been quoted on saying that I don't use it that much, um, but I 100% use aspects of it. <clears> and my, I started off by screening similarly to the FMS and all of my screen is based off either the FMS, the NSM or some other PRI stuff. 
is generally speaking is how I've gauged my screen together and for what movements that I deem that somebody is going to do during my programming, I do basically a super regressed program as my uh, screen if, as a fundamental thing. Uh, but the FMS is invaluable for people who are coming out and have kind of not have no idea about screening or haven't done a screen before. It gives numbers, which is great, especially for buying, like Josh said. It's, it's an easy kind of tool to realize, oh, zero is bad, one, two, three, three is good because it's high. All right, we need to get that. It gives a kind of red, it was a, red, a kind of red or light amber green light system, right? Um, and it gives a soaring system afterwards, so 21 is immaculate mover. But also with the correctives of Grey Cook, as somebody's understanding of learning those seven tests, seven, eight tests, um, seven tests, yeah. Seven. Oh, they've added a couple of like motor control stuff. Added some, but it's, traditionally it's seven tests, 21 is all three, mm. sorry. Um, it gives you a fundamental reasoning of how to program as well, of what probably the movement patterns that you're going to be programming somebody to go and do. And as the person moves, the, they've got to be better at these. So you've got to start thinking about it. Even if you didn't see the corrective list from Grey Cook, you've got to think about how that athlete is going to get better at those tests. And then you've got to use your brain to realize that, all right, so if somebody's doing a rotary stability like assessment, we've got to get slightly better at rotary stability and how we then fundamentally do that using exercise and not any gimmicks. So I think it's amazing as basically a programming tool. Um, and that's how it should be used. It shouldn't be used as a be all and end all. It's not going to predict injury. It's not going to do that kind of thing. It give you a nice idea of where that person is in that snapshot of life. Mm. And, and also to add is like that, that's mess. That's any screen. So any, it's not just limit. All that stuff's limited by FMS. If someone's created their own screen or whatever, it will still do the same. There's no screen out there that will go. Well, that means you can you're going to be a top-class athlete because you can jump this far or always yeah. jump this high. That's an assessment. That's different, right? So, but as you said, it, it's a standardized thing, and it's the only one out there that is standardized. And that's I think why one of, kind of one of the best interviews that we ever had at Third Space was a guy called Seb um, Sebastian, who works at the city, and he came in with his own screening system, and it was a upper based upper and lower push pull open and closed chain screening system. I thought that was great. He knew exactly what kind of what he was looking for. He knew what those kind of did, dis like I know advantages, disadvantages of doing it well, how he was meant to perform. But it was a screening system that he developed, and he thought it worked well with his clients, and seemed to get. He had an end goal of where they should be, or what was deemed good and what was deemed bad, and how to correct them based off that. So mm. it's that kind of thing. You can create your own, but I I think it's a <laughs> it's an awesome starting point, and it's already set up and ready to go. Henry, crush our dreams. <laughs> no, I'm not going to crush your dreams. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not an FMS lover. I'm not an FMS hater at, at all. I, Since we started adopting it and since I did the uh, course, I thought, yeah, I'm going to start implementing it. Um, main, main reason because ultimately, if you do FMS, if you do SEBS1, if you do, uh, what's the FRC one, F FCA, or I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, FRA. They've got something, yeah, but um, whatever you do, you're still not, when are you going to have more information about your client? After that screen, or in six months of training them? Mm. Six months of training them. There's no assessment that can give you every single thing uh, that you need and, and to be honest with you I, I kind of like tweaked FMS for myself yeah. 
um, you know, for the sake of scoring it, I, I do actually score it because I think people like numbers and it's, uh, it's an easy motivation tool. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll do a screen and then I'll give them a little bit of coaching to see if they can improve it. And that gives me an idea of how body aware are they and can they respond to coaching cues. And I think those two things are actually pretty handy. Um, it's funny, it, it gets digged out so much, but no one says, no one ever starts the sentence with, do you know what, fair play for FMS for trying to design something that can be tested. Um, you know, it, they have done that and they have, they have modified it. Um, I think that me as an osteopath, if someone came to me and said, uh, you know, Josh has got shoulder pain, I've done this FMS with him, this is his score, um, I would already be like, oh, okay, well, this person understands basic biomechanical uh, language. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's really, really valuable. You know, it can start a conversation between a trainer and the uh, the client and then a, tr a, a trainer and then a, a healthcare professional as well. Um, and, and like, let's not um, beat around the bush. You know, people want to be feeling like they're being looked after. Um, and it is meeting that kind of um, requirement to be listened to. But I guess via movement, that's philosophical, isn't it? Um, but uh, I, I just think it's really, really um, trendy to, to rip it, whereas actually people just miss the point altogether. It's like it's just a look at movement. It's an idea of general movement well-being. Um, is this person safe? Is is this not? Um, so so yeah, I I, um, I I think it's absolutely fine, and I I don't think it's wasted time either. Uh, I think in six months you're going to look back at that ten minutes and think, oh god, blimey. We could be so much better off by now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only, the only, a lot of the FMS content itself and their philosophies I don't necessarily agree with. They obviously yeah. uh, are fairly anti-compensation, and they they um, you know they they have these ideas that certain positions are just definitely going to lead to problems, definitely going to lead to pain, um, or at least that's what's in in the literature they provide with the course. And I'm I'm not with that. Um, but I am with it on, on other things and blimey, look, I mean, you you can answer this on your next podcast, Tom, but we've, we've got, uh, our next recruitment day on Tuesday and a number of trainers who turn up and they don't have a movement screen. Uh, what they have is a warm up. Um, so blimey, if you've got nothing, then FMS is, is definitely better than, than what you've got. Um, and, and if someone has got something, you know, catastrophic going wrong with them, then it will show you. Can I say, though, on that, because some people do listen to the podcast and then they come to the assessment centre. So they've heard us talk about FMS and say, there's some good, there's some good uses. Da, da, da. So what they try and do is blag it. And then they'll come and <laughs> pretend that they can do FMS, but it actually digs them a deeper hole. We would have probably preferred them to turn around and go, listen, I don't really do a screen, but can you show me maybe? Or do you know what I mean when we do assess mm -hmm. them? So don't don't just like um, do it willy nilly and just make up your own scoring criteria or whatever. But you can, you can but as long as you've got a justification for it, is, is probably yeah. it. Do, do it more than more than once than in first time in the interview would be the one of the big things. Oh yeah, <laughs> go Henry, hand up, go. Well, one thing I would say um, is is the whole any pain and a zero thing. So I, I have modified that, and as you both know, but the listeners maybe don't know, is that we discussed that on, on one of our internal modules. Um, you know, I am not saying if someone's got shoulder pain, just ignore them. 
but pain is quite a normal thing. It's feedback from the body. Uh, and, and some people have just never done these movements before. So it might be a little bit sensitive. I, I seem to remember um, kind of like uh, seven or eight years ago, didn't Mike Boyle have like a, he would score it with or without pain. So it'd be like two with pain. That's um, that comes from SFMA. They do a, oh, a okay. glass thing, a PN yeah. thing. It's called pain. Yeah, that's yeah. pain. Some could be pain a good dysfunctional, mover. pain non-dysfunctional. That's part of the SFMA stuff. Right. Okay. So it wasn't mine. But, but question on that, or for me, you're you're a medical professional, so you understand that, yeah, and you know the difference, or you can kind of assess in your say your professional opinion the difference between sensitivity and pain. Mm. Personally, for me as a PT, if a client says to me they got pain. From my standpoint and my kind of barriers, I'm going to turn around and go, okay, that's cool. I'm probably going to avoid that then because I don't really know what's going on because I don't really understand pain. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, you can use simple guides like verbal analog scale, how many out of 10 is it? Um, and then if the number under five, maybe you could uh, assume is sensitivity or you could just say, uh, okay, it's painful. Would you like to stop? You know, is it so bad that it's going to stop you moving here? Um, the, the only thing is, is what we don't want to encourage is, is someone who is perfectly healthy, hasn't exercised in ages, will probably calm down with a, within about two weeks of exercise and they've been referred to a physiotherapist and you've got a client there who's enthusiastic about starting their fitness journey and all they need is a little bit of sensible loading um, and a lack of overhead movements as an example. Um, so I know what you mean. I, I've, I've, a, I've got the confidence to know what I'm dealing with and B, people have got confidence in me that if I say do it, it's probably not going to cause them problems. Um, but I, I still think you can be sensible. You can bring your, your five out of 10 right the way down to one or two out of 10. You shouldn't be grading people on zero. They've got one out of 10. That was just a, that was just a dig at CrossFit. Sensible <laughs> loading and lack of overhead movements. You're crazy, Henry. It's just CrossFit. I no, I love <laughs> CrossFit. You love CrossFit. Me and Doug think it's the best thing that's ever happened to our industry, and I'm not even bullshitting. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, what? There's yeah. And I'm with Doug, and Doug's uh, very respected, so I'm safe. He's so, yeah. very respected. It's right. Yeah, we refer out to him a lot. When, basically, whenever whenever I don't ask Henry for advice, I'm going to ask Doug. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. a question following on from F. Mess with someone asking on my thing, what's all these lines of force and all this stuff that you're going on to? I think Boring. one thing to, to just right. no, no, well, wait a minute, just defend me. <laughs> I'm gonna get some water, yeah, go for it. yeah I'll go just as well. Def- okay, just to defend me as, as a person, Henry mentioned this before. When I'm learning something, what I do have to do is immerse myself in it by just kind of being obsessed. Oh, we, oh, we, know, mate. we know, we know, I have to because otherwise, <laughs> I won't because otherwise, I won't give it the credit that it, it might have or. I won't understand the disadvantages of it. So when I started to learn FMS, I just did loads of it, even to myself, to whatever to understand it. Done the same thing with FRC, done a little bit with PRI. Then now I've done the similar thing with with RTS and mechanics. But I have to do that, otherwise I won't learn it. And also, I don't like to throw shade at anything if I haven't actually tried it myself. That's just the way it is. So anyway, what is it is a very simple way of saying it's exercise mechanics. It's understanding where a machine is heaviest and where it's lightest on our body where we are weakest and where we are strongest in the movement and i think one of the biggest applicable parts of it is knowing something called a moment arm and knowing well what tissue am i targeting even though a squat people say is a front squat is quad dominant 
for most people, it's probably hip dominant, which means I can make a full all around program based on that rather than just based on movements. If I don't understand what those movements do on tissues and that's it. But regardless of that, I'm going to be totally honest in saying that it is probably one of the best courses I've ever been on. And Michael Gordon with his stuff is probably one of the best teachers that I've learned from just because of the way he is again, hypnotic tones and, and as such, he's and a actually, good teacher. <laughs> it's, he's great and it's just this it it reignites a passion for it and i will always you know shout the rooftops about rts and i don't get any anything for it but i do believe that if your thing is body comp or if your thing is all about stimulating specific tissues in a specific way that is the route to go there's no other course that will teach you more about body comp apart from nutrition that's my thing i mean don't get me wrong michael gordon applies it to loads of different stuff but if i was to try and tell you why and how i'd probably get it wrong so i don't want to slaughter the, the method but um yeah that, that's basically what it is it's just under it's biomechanics but related to gym exercises rather than sports that's how i'd probably put it and the person most importantly right oh massively about the person massively about the person which is and that's the biggest thing the biggest two questions that he'll always ask is who's the client and what's the goal they're the two things before that's I'm- your tagline I've got mine. You've got yours. No, that's Michael's tagline. I've just stolen oh, it. Oh, jeez. Such a different oh, one. Well, the boy from Bo. That <laughs> was a good I'm not from Bo, mate. I'm Limeass. But anyway. Limeass. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's all it is. That's what RTS is. Um, and if anything, it's a real good tool for understanding anatomy. Like, you, you think you know anatomy. If you think you know insertions, origins, planes of movement, go on that course and you'll soon realise, damn, as a PT, I need to up my game on this stuff. 100%. Yeah, sure. Sure. Which is great. I think that's what we need. But yeah, that's it. That's it. Done. Bam. We haven't yeah. really anything to talk about that. I mean, my master's degree was half biomechanics. And I'd still love... I've not done RTS. Obviously, I would have a snippet into the window of it and by listening to Michael Golden going to his talks. And then just... <clears throat> we know... Dan's very good friends with the muscle mentors and how they apply it and uh, basically and, and and we see Josh ramble on about it all the time. So it's interesting, but obviously mm-hmm. well, I guess we've spoken, myself and Dan are coming from maybe the, the 90% of the population who's not going to set up like that and with them use very basic fundamental stuff to get people moving. It, it is in 100% what Josh just said. If you're really interested in body comp and body movement and that kind of stuff, that's the route to go down. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, and I think yeah. I go down and listen, I'm I rabbit hole so much. I'm at the tea party with the Mad Hatter, right? Yeah. So I, I will take time to set up. I'll get loads of straps and, you know, I'll get magnets. I'll do all this stuff, right? But what you can do with a client who's not prepared to do that, first of all, you probably could do it first time and take you some time. You note down how you set it up and you do it. But not all clients will buy into that stuff. But if anything, it's just saying, well, if you've not challenged the full range of movement in a muscle, for instance, in a row particularly, so when we do a pull-in row we are strongest in the lengthened tissue we're weakest in the shortened so just complement two exercises find an exercise that overloads the shortened tissue find an exercise that overloads the lengthened tissue because if you've got an exercise where you can still get to the shortened range and you're strongest in the lengthened range you've probably not overloaded fully the lengthened range so how about combine two exercises that may not have what's called a full range challenge just to give a full program for body composition. So it's not even, you don't have to start setting up straps and people geek out and then people go a bit too far with it, but it's just, well, if you do that, couple that with this other exercise and that will give you a developer full program. That's all. And also minimize, minimization of joint forces and all that, all that jazz. But yeah, there we go. 
I feel like Henry needs like a bit of cocoa or something like that. I just had some. Yeah, just a little bit of hot cocoa. You've whilst we've been talking, Henry has managed to put on a quilt, like yes. a woolly hat, a jumper, get a drink. <laughs> What's the matter? Mate? Is there no heat in a new house? I don't. Oh, I'm just glued here. All right. No, I, I, I can't. I can't put my heating on anyway. Anyway, I'm not on Playboy wages like you, Marlborough lot. <laughs> He's in a, Tom's in a penthouse. That's where I'm sitting. That's right it. Now. I can see the help in the middle. <laughs> I've got one last question from my from my guys and your gang. And then we yeah. got we've got a question that we we're meant to ask Carl, but we'll 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 have a little dive. Uh, no, I've got a reply from Carl. I have you. I have I've got to my two phone. <laughs> I've got two. So Please. if you get your reply from Carl and then. I think I've got two questions, and I'll, I'll get that. Okay, so um, I can't remember what we said about Carl. It was a long time ago, but basically, <laughs> Carl is incredibly experienced, and he's been and he's worked in uh, here and in the states as well. Um, so my question for him, as um, it's maybe a bit a deep, say, yeah, elder as a, a complete fanboy. You should have should have heard Henry when we came on the yeah. on the show. He was like, "Where's Carl? Oh, Is he where's not here? Carl? Where's Carl? I speak to you two enough. Where's yeah. Carl? Is he oh. here? It's like, Carl. <laughs> can you hear me, Carl? Anyway, uh, so I wanted to ask him because I think uh, you know every year we um, we get the kind of question of you know what are the current fitness trends, yada yada yada, and and generally speaking, I think PTs are quite wise to those fitness trends and, and don't uh, succumb come to them but I was just wanting to ask him what he thinks he has seen in trends of what PTs are good at and what PTs are not particularly good at so I asked him how things have changed really throughout his career so I'll just uh, read it out so Carl said um, and I'm not going to put on the Midlands accent um, I would say trainers have improved in terms of concepts such as programming they can structure a session and program it in a scientifically sensible and logical way uh, and the basic kind of entry-level knowledge surrounding nutrition has definitely improved as well uh, what he thinks we need to be better at broadly speaking is um, I think that trainers are generally poor at doing oh, sorry he's got a bit of a typo there I think what trainers are generally poor at doing is applying basic movement science such as kinesiology and biomechanics and relating it to their clients and problem solving um, kind of hints at what Josh has just spoken about with RTS really is um, you know uh, client can't do that fundamental movement I need them to be able to do a fundamental movement A why can't they do it and B what else could I do right so I guess uh, you know we've had the age of information and now we need to know what to do with it can I just finish that all in one <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's more into the like the, the, the judgement of what we teach as well within yeah. first base of how to progress or regress on the fly and be like actually I'm not going to make my client wait for for I don't know for five ten minutes until some piece of equipment and it's like <clears throat> actually we're just fundamentally we're just going to do an upper body push therefore we're just going to push something with our upper body doesn't really matter what it is we'll do it at the correct intensity we'll probably be an okay load we're not going to lose any sleep about it I think that's what people worry about a hell of a lot if we're say not in a gym Basically, of our thinking, I guess. Hopefully. Don't you think? Don't you think as well? Um, when, when something goes wrong, people immediately think about the glory ball, like the complicated answer. Yeah. Like what? What's wrong with just regressing it to something really, really basic? Hundred percent. Because yeah. Because yeah, realizing that you're not gonna lose, not gonna lose any gains. You're, you're gonna be fine. Probably you're not taking a step back. You're probably gonna progress just a little bit. 
not as maximally or as optimally as we wanted, but we're still making good progress. I think that's what we need to relay across that when if you've got to make that decision on the fly as well or change something, which is absolutely fine. Josh, you look like you want to say something. It bursted. No, I'm done. <laughs> yes, that's my answer. There we go. Good. Are we happy with Carl's answer, Henry? Or is he paused? He's, yeah, he's blinking very slowly. Uh, <laughs> now what's going on? He'll, he'll, he'll catch up soon. So I'll just move on to the next question because it looks like Henry has got Wi-Fi of a potato. But um, <laughs> the, the next question was, and I, I get it quite a lot, either at the assessment days as well, um, or I get it in DMs and stuff like that quite a lot on Instagram, and that is obviously how can I join the education team or what do you look for in recruiting educators? How, how does first space recruit educators? Da, da, da. In all honesty, like it, it's, it's a bit of a, it's not a hard process, but it is like, as in first and foremost, you've got to get into third space. So we don't just hire externally at the moment, educators, you've got to be deemed to be an elite personal trainer. For those that don't know, we have two different types of personal trainer within third space. We have, just personal trainer and we have elite personal trainer and what constitutes you as an elite generally speaking is a specialist area with a qualification to match such as typically speaking a master's or something like rts alongside a nutrition course for body comp etc etc um at least five years industry experience but that's at the very least we generally ask for two years at third space although that can kind of be um fast tracked if you're really good and we see something really potential in you but then from there, really, really from that, you've already got the fundamentals, hopefully, as, as a teacher. It's then, for, to become an educator in third space, what I mainly look for personally, and then I'll ask you guys what you would look for, but is, first of all, a critical mind in not just slating something or not saying this is the best, but actually being able to be critically think about anything that someone asks you, whether that be a ferragun or a foam roller or whatever. Secondly is supportive and i think that's the biggest one what what education should be and what we should be doing is supporting people not saying what people are doing right or wrong we should be the person that any pt can come up to and go what do you think of this and we entice more questions from them and we entice more thinking from them um and then just a generally nice person that's that's it someone who's just generally nice as in they can hold a conversation with someone they can gain respect of the room and they they, they just generally have good people skills and quite clearly i just inherited tom so i didn't hire tom <laughs> but yeah that's it my um, very true. yeah um it, yeah yeah basic soft skills sometimes is the biggest one right it's empathy it's knowing that actually we don't have all the answers and do you know what you might be able to teach me something when you're asking me this question you are you've asked me a question in a way that i've learned something um you don't have to be the smartest person you just be, have to be able to entice someone or infuse someone to be educated and have something you're passionate about enough that you can educate someone on it but yeah that's what that's kind of my my answer yeah i think my take on it especially by looking at us for we do not have to be the smartest person in the room clearly to be (laughs) um but yeah josh did inherit me um unfortunately but i saw it as an avenue pre like third space takeover i guess um i started doing education like weekly and fortnightly with the marlebone lot even when we didn't have a structure. I think Carl actually did that as well with the Soho lot when we didn't really have a structure because it was just kind of needed and we needed like a bit of a, I don't know, philosophy and know-how for people critically thinking and realising that there was other stuff out there. And it did, I mean, 
we've all got further degrees, right? Um, so it, the, the critical mindset was, it's, it's kind of taught into us heavily a, a lot um, by looking at research, deciding what we think is right and what we think is good for apply. Um, so I think that's the biggest one in terms of if you're going to get to the education team um, and realizing that you're, you're going to decide what, we're not going to decide exactly what the trainers are going to be doing because they can decide that for themselves, but giving them the facility and the platform to help them decide where they're going to be or what they what route they want to go down because we've all got different routes of specialties. We all teach different stuff on PT5 because that's our thing and other people are going to be way better for rehab than we ever will be. Um, even at the lower level, so if they're PT5 and up to elite level. So I think it's just giving them the platform to succeed would be mm. my way of an education quarter. And also, I forgot to mention, the biggest thing, biggest, biggest thing, is you've got to love it. Like, as in, if someone turned around to me and said, Josh, tomorrow you're speaking in front of 500 people, I, I would be so excited. And even on the... Right. Get a bit nervous, don't get me wrong, but I absolutely love it. It, I buzz off of it like just talking and public speaking that's what I love actually if someone says you've only got two learners I'm a bit like okay cool that's cool but I prefer like massive groups and if your number one thing is talking in front of people like as in oh I don't like that or I get a bit do you get nervous and all this too much yeah you do get a bit nervous but if it really scares you teaching is probably not for you if you don't love that or if you don't love have to be on your toes all the time because someone's going to fry a sink at you someone is going to heckle at some point if you don't buzz off of that and you can can't that around unfortunately it's probably not for you in all honesty and we've realized that for people who've been a bit a little bit kind of apprehensive coming on this show so we go out to a few thousand people right and they'll be like oh but what if we say something's dumb what if it's not gonna be that but absolutely fine that's, yeah. that's why we're here to make mistakes and we're gonna learn from it but not everything, everything we said in this show is gonna be correct so but we got better at it as we went along but you've got to do it first 100 percent henry now, now you're back, and your it seems like your internet is uh, not frozen. I don't know. You, you, you made some interesting faces through there. Oh, <laughs> I've just got an interesting face. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I the one that Josh said that resonates with me is a critical mind. Um, you know, I've already hinted at my uh, dismay at talking to people who really have become indoctrinated into, into whatever cult that they're part of and they just can't see any kind of benefit uh, to anything else or they can't receive any criticism themselves. Um, you know, you've got to be mature enough to know that there are no absolutes whatsoever um, and, and that uh, you've got to be human about it as well. So, yeah, a big thing for me is having a critical mind. It's, it's not actually, I know Josh referenced with the elite stuff particularly, that you need uh, certain academic qualifications, but... Um, you know, I'm some of the most knowledgeable people I know are just book read mm. and they make great teachers. Um, but yeah. what I would say is, is studying a master's does give you an incredibly critical mind. And uh, like, if you do a master's, like you will have some dreams broken. There's no two ways about it. And I think that's quite kind of, um, obviously humbling, but mentally hardening as well and, and prepares you for more, uh, uh, criticism and doubt which is only a good thing really so that's the biggest thing for me is there's plenty of people who are very very knowledgeable but they just guide everything back into having conversations about stuff that they, they believe in and know about yeah yeah and i think the, the whole the whole thing when it comes to education now what we're seeing is because of what we're doing at third space and just 
allowing people to be educated, partnering with the right with the right companies, etc., and making sure RPTs don't have to go anywhere else for education. I think that's having a bigger ripple effect. Like Henry, you know of someone that works for a quite a competitor company who's now oh, going. Oh yeah, yeah. We need to do yeah. that. I I was approached by another competitor company to kind of try and kind of poke me in a sense um but it didn't, didn't happen but people are starting to look out and i think more and more give it a few years the industry is gonna have to follow suit and the the idea is that now every gym out there i reckon in the next three four years will have to have some form of inter- internal education pathway or process because pts are demanding it now and that's what you need to do but then that means is the roles are only just going to to get bigger and bigger and bigger and soon it's just going to be a given like there's a pt like there's a fitness manager there's always an educator within a club and that's that's been the whole goal of ours really when we first started education is to elevate the industry and to go do you know what it's bigger than than what we do it's a bit bigger than third space in a sense but third space are always going to be the best we're always going to be one that pioneer it because luckily we've got a company who back us for it and let's let's face it give us a decent enough budget to do that and allow us that that kind of create creative space but I, it's gonna, it's just gonna get bigger. So, so if, if in the next two months you're not an educator at third space because I've only got so much budget and you know I need to keep some of it for myself so I can eat. But um, it, it, I think it's only gonna get more and more. So if your your goal is to become an educator, go and learn that. Go and learn that skill. Go and get your tutoring qualifications and stuff. And I think it will. There'll be there'll be more and more opportunities as it as it comes. I think. Yeah, it's it's just gonna get bigger and bigger. I think anyway. That's what that's my own thing. I hope it's gonna get bigger. <laughs> I think it will because, um, you know, there's just an increased demand to get things right. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, and, uh, you know, let's, again, let's not beat around the bush. It's very, very difficult for a personal trainer to continue to earn an income mm. whilst they're at university. So we, we're going to need to provide plenty of professional development uh, to, in, in a way that is of a, a good enough sat standard rather that um, sort of satisfies people's hunger and thirst for education, but not so disruptive um, that they need to uh, get a degree. And look, let's face it, the days of self-employment and freelance within fitness is going to come to an end. Let, like. It's just a, a given it, soon in the next couple of years, self-employment will be no more in the fitness industry. It will be very rare because HMRC see us as being or the, this industry as being one of the highest risks when it comes to tax evasion. Um, so they're going to force big companies and quite rightly to basically employ their staff. So even though you may get paid the same because you can't muck around with expenses or, you know, I'm not saying anyone lies, but uses legal loopholes to reduce their tax liability you are going to see that hit your pocket so companies are going to have to do something to compensate for that in regards of benefits and one of those benefits should be education because you can get a whole host of benefits from that going i can save between five and ten grand a year by not having to pay for my own education and that they're going to provide that for me so i think they're going to have to do it because that is a retention tool at the end of the day 100 percent. and yeah we're seeing it already so it's, yeah. it's going to happen Absolutely. Post chaps, have we got any more questions that we want to fire through? One more. One more. And it's just are we are we going to be educating outside of third space? In other words, not just staff members, courses, etc. The first thing to announce, I guess, is we will be at Elevate this year. So the third space, we were at Body Power last year. Um that 
Still may happen. Don't know yet. Still got to be having conversations, but we're definitely going to be an elevate for two days where it's going to be a blend again of us, us guys, obviously, but then other speakers coming in. So you, that's a free event to attend as well in London at the Excel. It's going to be great. Our own stage. We're going to be the main fitness education provider. So we're going to do that. And then look, look I'm sure that some of you boys are potentially going to start branching out and, you know, trying to, trying to impart your knowledge on the world, I guess. Um, for me, I'm too busy. I'm at third space. I've got, you know, I'm running a crash. That is the education coordinators. <laughs> so, you know, I've got to look after the kids, don't I? <laughs> yes. Keep, keep your eyes peeled. I mean, I've, I, I just, uh, uh, I think it's probably time for me to do a nice weekend with uh, the LDNM boys, I'm sure. Um, so uh, keep an eye out next year. If you follow Josh, then I'm sure he'll make a song and dance about it because he's been digging me in the ribs to get on with it as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to do a, a kind of a foundations and exercise rehabilitation next year. But other than that, we, as I say, be at Elevate. And uh, we're on social media as well. So yeah. uh, if, you, if you do have questions, fire them across. Saying that there is obviously the LDNM nutrition course that only I will always teach, and that's three to four times a year. Oh, I thought I thought me and him, Henry were taking that over. Uh, we'll talk about that offline. Um, <laughs> we won't touch the dreams right now. This is news to me. His stuff as well. Can you imagine if me and Henry taught nutrition? That'd be great. Yeah, great. I'm going to do it. Panic. Let's just see what happens. Normal protein. I'll just keep talking about rehab. Yeah, yeah great. Just switch around before. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have you back next year, Tom. I'm sure we're doing some form of screening. I'm sure myself and Mr. Meek will be speaking or doing courses in the not too distant future, especially with. Daniel's uh, biceps and banner stuff, so we might be doing stuff with Mike, especially uh, in terms of coaching, mentoring, and doing all that kind of stuff. Especially when we're crossing, we're realizing that there's more importance of crossing the online and uh, in-person PT realm, and realizing that that, well, we know it's an industry that's always going to be there, and the mix is what we have in our show, so if people (laughs) will, there will be stuff uh, from myself and Dan in terms of PT mentorship um, that will definitely be coming so oh. eyes peeled guys um, yeah so we just you look like you want your hands up again mate Fucking sorry me. I've got one last question <laughs> this is my own question if you was if a PT was to ask right now give me one course one, one course that you recommend I do on your specialist area yeah or whatever there's that one course that you go go do that I think that will set you up pretty well what one course would that be? Hmm. In our specialist area? It, it could be anything. I don't mind. Whatever. One course. It has to be a pretty... It can't just be, go and do a nutrition course. You have to say <laughs> the exact course. And I can start, but no guesses as to what I'm going to say. You're going to say uh, London not- Muscle Nutrition Course. I should I'm say that. <laughs> you're not going to do. not going to plug yourself. Jesus. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm. I'm not because that. That'd just be too much. I mean, obviously that is the case. But for a personal trainer, I, I honestly believe it's got to be RTS. If I was to organise this, so Tom plugs me, I plug Josh. <laughs> and Josh plugs Tom. Yeah, oh, I'm not. That is so much better. But obviously, if it was nutrition. I would probably say either do the LDNM nutrition course or go and just study a degree because 
there's anything else in between is not it doesn't really matter but anyway um or rts i would probably say is foundational from a lot of pts personally okay um so i'm gonna go with two no, 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 no. Well, well. Oh, no, I did do yeah. two. Fair play. Yeah. I done two. Go on. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, if I'm called the politician, the fence sitter, yeah. then, you know, I've got it. So, so I, I, I would say if you're really, really interested in biomechanics, personally, I would do the, the Gray Institute course, the CAFS. I think it stands for Certificate in Applied Functional Science. Um, best value for money course that I have ever done. It's like over 50 hours of video. It's like $400 or something. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, that being said, uh, I was really, really impressed with the Exos phase one course. I must admit, um, uh, I know that's probably a bit of an easy kind of, uh, suggestion, but the strength of Exos is, um, how well organized it is. And, and if you are unclear and, and you want some methodology rather than just a bunch of new toys, then you will certainly will get it from that. Um, and look, it's, it's internationally accredited. So um i think it's a bit of a no-brainer and if you can't attend one of their on-site ones i think that their online version of the same course is also pretty good but it is the same price so i lean towards the in-person one i mean i'm not going to cop out because i think the exos phase one yeah do it 100 percent. there are slightly different things that you will learn um especially doing applied performance in the uk compared to doing it from the states so exos is very states orientated and maybe there are certain things obviously henry was on the course with me and there was stuff there was stuff that i've learned snc here which is traditionally from the uksea which i was like what about this they do it this way we do it this way and it just hasn't crossed the atlantic basically um what tends to happen is we do a lot more research in the uk and they do a lot more applied um which is which is great but for pro sports awful for us um and then personal trainery um i'm gonna i realize henry doesn't always i don't know buy this lad but um the first ever personal trainer course workshop thing i did in person was dean somerset's and tony gentle cause hip and shoulder blueprint and I love Dean Somerset. I think he's a really intelligent guy. And Tony G is just a good coach. Um, he's a good strength coach and doesn't, he keeps within his boundaries and he's good at doing that. So I thought as a personal trainer and having fundamental knowledge of, they go through basically how we coach and how we do things is we, they take little bits that have worked for them and they've smashed it all together in terms of a hip and shoulder blueprint. Um, and it's all based off strength correctives. Basically, um, there are some stuff that you're going to be like, nah, I don't really agree with that. It's fine. It's fine. But I'll vouch for it as I've, I don't know. I've seen the, the first one. I did the first ever one in the UK and then must have been about six years ago. And I've seen the rehash of them doing it a couple of times. And yeah, it's just a nice course. I, I still apply stuff that I took away six years ago. Yeah, go. <laughs> yeah, just in case there are any uh, uh, healthcare people listening, number one course for me would be uh, Greg Lehman's course. Uh, I think it's called Reconciling Biomechanics with Pain Science. Um, it's obviously a very, very broad topic, but if you're um, a little bit lost uh, in terms of you know pain science is saying one thing, biomechanics and the world is saying another thing, um, Greg does a really good job of, well, as the course says, sort of reconciling the two sort of worlds. 
Uh, and it's it, it gives you an absolute ton of uh, access to material as well. Um, so I really, really um, recommend that. Amazing. All right, well, apparently one of our fitness managers wants to know who would win in a fight out of all the first base education team. <laughs> and uh, we're going to go for Carl, right? Yeah, he's black. He's, I'm sorry, brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But there is a caveat, isn't there, Henry? What's the caveat? Um, if Josh could make it to his phone in time, he's definitely got a dodgier phone book. So <laughs> I'm East London. What can I say? It's very I've true. Got 14 but... golf clubs, mate. So have I, but I, oh, I still no, think got golf clubs as well. I've got. Well, you see him in my in my log cabin of games. Remember? God, it's that time I didn't even tell you. This. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, Josh's if... man cave is basically a collection of all his like things that he's like. Thought, oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do it. He's got a fixie. He's got a set of left-handed golf clubs. He's right-handed. There's a mess uh, kit. Uh, what a else has he got kit. in there? A wide balance kit. An <laughs> a lifting got, platform. Got, he thinks I've he can lift. Turntables. DJ turntables. <laughs> See what I mean? It's, it's like, when, when we all start having midlife crisis, uh, crises, I guess, we'll, we'll go to Josh and Josh will be like, mate, I was banging that in my teens. <laughs> <laughs> Completed it, mate. I want a, a guitar. I've got a guitar in there as well. Yeah, it's probably some football stuff. stickers. No, football's not really for me. No, no, you're not really into sport, are you? Mine was an acoustic. Mine's acoustic. What's your bass? I bet yours is bass. You're, you Mine. look like a bass player. No, I've got two of my five here, but they're like you've got five. Oh, yeah, I got five guitars. Um, but there's, there's why? Five. What? Because one of them sounds different to the other. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. No. Yeah, 100%. they do. They do. <laughs> oh God. Dear. <laughs> my dad's, my dad's uh, guitar collection is pretty repulsive, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure I'd have really? a lovely conversation with your dad. Then it'd be amazing. Yeah, I play a lot of guitars, Josh. Yeah. Hold on, I thought you two you two had the same. Da- this is. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so so we we worked out earlier on. I've always had this joke right that Henry and Tom have the same dad, and I can't remember what happened. I think. Henry's dad was going out, so was Tom's mum, and I went, hold on a minute, they're obviously seeing each other. <laughs> but now we've worked out that Tom is definitely his son because he's obviously now the, the same skills. Like, guitar is getting weirder and weirder, mate. This is getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'll say. I mean, Brothers. on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah. Do they both have the same... I think they both have the same birthday, yeah. And we yeah, were both yeah. elsewhere for some course that Josh wanted us to do. We were oh, like, dad's oh, birthday. Like, it was dad's, dad's birthday. birthday. And we were like, And then more and more, it's just getting weirder and weirder. It is weirder and weirder. All right. Um, on that note, we've almost, I think we may have pushed past the first time. Well, Josh, first time Josh came on our show, it was about an hour and a half. I think we've almost hit that. Um, basically, I think what we should do next month as well, because we're all on a trip together uh, to Boston to go catch up with Mr. Mike Boyle. So we will reconvene or maybe do a show from Boston. Uh, we, we, we can possibly do that or on the way back. A plane cast, if we will. Um, give us something to do. Over the I'm not sitting next to any of you on I the plane. That Tell Josh, me that right now. Josh is, Josh is going straight into business and first class. Cause, Obviously. Because no. it's his budget and he's decided to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to get a job with the Boston Celtics. No, true. I'm staying out, I'm staying out there, so it's fine. You guys are in the cattle-like cart and then I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm basically in the pilot's chair. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, I better say my goodbyes before we take off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we might do a show based off what we were 
what we had seen in Boston and the applied nature of uh, Mr. Mike Boyle. That'd be pretty cool. Um, Decent. Well, he's nice to the guy. All right, thanks, chats, for coming on. We will hopefully have Mr. Carl Wilson back or on next time with dulcet tones. Anything mm-hmm. you'd like to say? Leave us with something. No, wonderful. No, no. That's it. <laughs> That's it. All right. Um, to leave you with, boys, make sure you're doing work on time tomorrow, otherwise you're both fired. There we go. We're not seeing each other tomorrow. We're good. All right. um, Thanks for listening, guys. And we will catch you with Daniel next week.